welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning, or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. It is a real privilege to be here and to open up uh, the scriptures with you. This is a church that um, I have prayed for over a number of years. So previous to being at Lighthouse, I was at Central um, church in Edinburgh Um, and so there's been quite a lot of relationship between um, the two churches and um, got to know Stephen a little over the last few years so um, yeah it's real really lovely to come and actually meet you and kind of meet the infamous Adelaide place so um, yeah and I understand that you guys have been on this journey over the summer for the last six weeks is that right unpacking Mark's gospel and maybe some of you have been away for some of that because we've been on holiday and things but um, today I have been handed the final week Um, so I got this email from David Roy and he said you've got the final week you've got chapters 14 to 16 of Mark's gospel and I went away and read it I was like okay no pressure basically I've got the death burial resurrection and ascension of Jesus in one week so um, okay Uh, Yes. And as I was preparing, um, I was trying to listen to God for you guys as a church. Uh, What I felt him say to me is that this is a pivot moment, a pivot moment, a pivot point. And I know probably some of you are now thinking of Ross in that infamous meme from Friends, where he's like, pivot, with the sofa round the staircase in that way. Um, Maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. If that's you, don't worry, you've not missed anything. Um, but I am talking about a different kind of pivot, okay? I'm talking about um, a pivot moment in terms of a moment of change, a moment of shift, a moment of, of great possibility, what could happen. And pivot points are really interesting. We've probably all had them, you've all had them in your life, moments when it's almost like anything could happen. Yeah, and you're at a point where you have to make some decisions. They're full of possibility and change and energy and momentum, but they can also be um, moments of trepidation, right? They're quite vulnerable moments. There's nothing like trying to move a sofa or actually this happened with us when we recently moved, trying to move a piano in through a very tight corner. There's nothing like holding the end of a piano knowing it could drop on your feet, yeah? It's quite a vulnerable moment, a pivot point. And these chapters in Mark's gospel are the pivot point of the gospel. They are the big finale of Mark's big story. They're like the final act. Curtains up, lights on. I hope you're all ready. Mark's best act is coming on. It's a pivotal moment in Mark's gospel. But as I um, listened to God and as I kind of thought about this passage and prayed for you guys, what I felt that the Lord was saying was that this is also a pivot moment for Adelaide. And that's what I'd like to offer and and bring to you today. This moment, this 
season. I know it's a bit of an overused Christian word, but hopefully we all know what I mean when I say it. Um, is, is a moment of possibility for you guys as a church, full of energy and momentum, but also in a funny way, vulnerable. And uh, some of you maybe particularly are in personal moments of pivot. You know, there's things going on for you individually. You're trying to make decisions about where do I live? Who do I live with? What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to study? Um, pivot moments. So what I'd love to bring for you guys this afternoon, if that's all right, is a little more of a prophetic teach. So having listened to God, just a few things I would like to pull out that I felt God highlighting for you as a church. And I offer them to you to weigh and to test, as all good prophecy should be. Um, don't just take my word for it. <laughs> you take it away and, and you chew it through. So um, we're going to turn to um, Mark, and I'm going to read from Mark 15, if you've got a Bible and you would like to open it. Um, that would be great. I'm reading from verse 40 of Mark 15. And um, just to set the scene immediately before verse 40, Jesus has been hanging on the cross and he has breathed his last and he has died. The sky has gone dark. Yeah, it's, it's a bleak moment. The scene is set. There is a dead body now hanging on a piece of wood and a small crowd gathered at a distance and Mark picks up the narrative here. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. <laughs> You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There will you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. 
They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So, there's a bit of a problem here. And the problem is this, that we read this account and we already know what's going to happen, don't we? If you've been around church any amount of time, you're like, okay, I'm in on this. It's like watching Sherlock when you already know, what's, you know what, how to solve the crime. And um, we need to, in a sense, step back and re-experience some of the sheer anxiety and stomach-churning grief of this moment to fully appreciate what a surprise it was to those women to turn up to a tomb and find an angel sitting in it. That is not what they were expecting. They didn't walk along, oh, do you know what? Do you know what's going to happen this morning? We're going to turn up and we're going to see the resurrection. They didn't know that. They didn't know that that was going to happen. And so imagine with me for a moment being one of those women. Let's track back to verse 40. Some of the women were watching from a distance. So you have been there from the very start. You've traveled with Jesus. You've listened to Jesus. You've provided for Jesus. You've handed Jesus cups of coffee or water and said to him, hey mate, slow down. You've got a big morning tomorrow. Sermon on the Mount. Have you thought about that? Prepared that? You've been with Jesus the whole way through. And um, now, says Mark, they're present at the crucifixion and the burial. The male disciples mostly um, had run away. Some of them had even denied knowing Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him three times. But the women, they'd stayed. And if I was actually Sherlock, which would be a marvellous proposition, anyone else like to be Sherlock? Yeah? Nobody. Well, that worked. Um, anyway, if I was a super detective, I would say that the women have a watertight case for Jesus' actual death. According to Mark, for which we have more copies of Mark's manuscript than we do for Plato's most famous writings, the women watch Jesus die. They follow his dead, limp body down from the cross, probably onto a cart or a donkey, and then transported across town to a tomb. So it's not actually written there in the gospel, but it's reasonable to assume that they would have helped Joseph take Jesus' body down off the cross, wrap it in a cloth, and prepare it for burial. The women were the eyewitnesses. They saw it, and they saw the tomb was they were last at the cross, there at the tomb, first to the resurrection. Verse 1 of that final chapter that we read um, from chapter 16, the women, they go to the tomb ready to anoint Jesus' body. So if you don't know this, it, it was customary to put special herbs and spices on a body. So it wouldn't smell so bad, basically, in the kind of heat. And you can picture that in the heat that we've been having recently. Things smell bad pretty quick, don't they? You open your kitchen bin, you're like, wow, let's shut that again. Um, well, that, that was what it was similarly like um, when people died. And instead of a corpse, they meet an angel. <laughs> and they hear from him, verse 6, that wonderful, astounding Easter message. He is not here. He has risen yeah he has risen the women the women hear that first and the women run with the message of Mark's gospel the death and resurrection of Jesus on which the hinge of history swings the women and so my first pondering for you 
if you're thinking, maybe we are in a pivot moment. What do we find in pivot moments? And I think what this passage shows us in a pivot moment, there will be women. There will be women. Let's remember for a moment how utterly liberating this text is. At the time of Jesus, a woman's testimony was worth pretty much nothing. People didn't believe women. The Jewish historian Josephus, who wrote at that time, wrote that even the witness of multiple women um, was not acceptable because of the levity and boldness of their sex. (laughs) But who did Jesus find at the best and the worst moments of his life? Women, present, faithful, obedient, strong, acting with purpose, doing the things that they knew were to be right, setting out to anoint a body even though they were racked with grief and couldn't understand why this had possibly happened to the rabbi that they had followed all the way through. The women. Every single gospel records the women as being last at the cross, first at the tomb. And please hear me, I'm not just saying this because I'm a woman. (laughs) I'm saying this because it's there in the text, yeah? And because we don't talk about this enough, many of the details that we actually have, that we know about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus are because women had the courage to stay, to be present. And so if um, you're like me, um, maybe wishing in another life you could be Sherlock, although obviously that was none of you, um, maybe you just like the facts, Maybe you're a fact, is anyone here a kind of fact kind of person? Yes? Again, hardly anybody. This is just going superbly. Well, consider with me for a moment that the fact that the Gospels describe the women as discovering the empty tomb first is a pointer in itself to their reliability because you would not make that up, yeah? If you were a historian at that time, a writer at that time, um, you would not make up the fact that Jesus resurrected Jesus was discovered by a woman and then the message of the resurrection go and tell the boys would not be given to a woman you would be like drum roll please step up Benedict Cumberbatch it's your time it's your turn I'm giving it to you because you are a man (laughs) but it's not Jesus gives it to a woman and so my first pondering is that in a pivot point there will be women, present, faithful, obedient, acting with purpose, living out of a calling, women present in the best and the worst of moments because God includes us. He includes women. He's inclusive to a fault. He can't, it's almost like he can't help himself. That's just who he is. And the redemption that God does when he gives that message to Mary is just astoundingly beautiful. And I think when we reflect on significant moments in history, significant moments of pivot in history, we find women there, not necessarily always recorded in the same way, but there nonetheless, Florence Nightingale. My little girl at the moment is reading some of those big dreams Little, uh, little Dreams, Big People books, maybe some of you know them, the kind of recorded stories of people through history and 
She's got this one about Florence Nightingale at the moment she absolutely loves. She says, she's the kindest lady that ever lived, mum. I'm like, you are too cute. Um, consider Florence Nightingale. Yeah, she was a woman at a pivot point for medicine. And the whole way that we do modern nursing now is completely changed because of this woman, Florence, who stood up and said, I will not get married and do what I'm supposed to do as an upper middle class lady. I'm going into the Crimean War and I am reforming how we care for people. Or Rosa Parks, yeah, a woman at a pivot point in the civil rights movement. She sparked it, in fact, didn't she? And she said this reflecting on the moment that she refused, if you didn't know, she refused to give up her seat on the bus um, to, to a white person. Uh, she said, I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. God did away with all my fear. <laughs> it was time for someone to stand up, or in my case, sit down. I refused to move. And maybe there are some of you here today who need to hear that too. It was time. Maybe that really resonated with you for a moment. Is it time for you to step into a leadership space that God's clearing for you, a pivot point moment? Is there somewhere that God is just asking you to be present, faithful, obedient, there in the best and the worst of moments? And I wanted to encourage you that you have purpose beyond what you can see now, yeah? Those women, they couldn't see that at the time. They were just getting on with doing what they were doing. <laughs> um, but with God, there is purpose beyond what we can see in the now. There are things ahead of you that you can't see how significant they will be to God and in his kingdom but because of God's grace he takes hold of these things and he takes hold of your life as you offer it to him and he makes it so much more than what you give so in a pivot point there will be women second in a pivot point there will be risks which I'm sure some of you are thinking don't like that word don't like that word there will be risks. If we track back um, to the burial of Jesus' body, we meet this lovely man called Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 43, he's a member of the council. So the inference is that he was part of the council that signed off on Jesus' execution. Um, but, but he objected. He was like a conscientious objector. He said, I object. Probably didn't actually say that, but something like that. He refused to give his consent. Mark doesn't say that, but Luke's gospel kind of fills in the detail for us. And um, Mark simply tells us he was a reputable member, which probably comes across better if I say, he was a reputable member of the council. Um, so what we need to appreciate here is that Joseph took a huge risk in asking for Jesus' body. Maybe that thought has never occurred to you. But he's obviously a man with a reputation to defend, yeah? He's a council man. He's a big man. He's a politician, a theologian in the courts. He, he's probably quite wealthy. He's therefore got a large extended family. He's got people dependent on him, yeah? He's got a reputation to defend. And he asks for the dead body of a condemned traitor of the Jewish state. It's, it's, quite, it's quite astounding, really, when you think about it. 
If you remember, Peter, who knew Jesus intimately, was so scared by the mere suggestion that he was even associated with Jesus that he'd run away. And here is Josephus saying, give me the body. I I want the body. In a pivot point, there will be risks. And I don't know if anyone here would identify with having a reputation to think of or a family to provide for, an extended network um, to protect. I think this little segment of scripture speaks a lot to all of those things. In a pivot point, there will be risks to take. And for each of us, I can imagine that taking a risk might look different, yeah? What feels like a risk to me might not feel like a risk to you. Some of you made a very funny face when I said I'd lived in seven houses over the last year. Can I tell you now that was not a risk that I was thinking that I was going to be taking a year ago? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So risk, you know, it'll feel different, it'll look different for each of us. Um, But in a pivot point, risk for all of us is about doing the next right thing regardless of the cost. And I think we see that all the way through the scripture and the story of God's people, doing the next right thing regardless of the cost. It's about pitching in the right direction, even though it feels quite vulnerable. And um, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And um, back in 2019, I really had to walk through this because I was, in, uh, I was part of the leadership team at Central in Edinburgh. And I felt God really clearly say to me, it's time to lay it down. And so I felt like God was asking me to lay everything down, to come into a season of waiting where he would then show me what was next. And so with no other source of income, (laughs) my husband and I talked it over and we prayed. I resigned from my post and I entered into this season of, yeah, it was absolutely that terrifying. It was that kind of moment where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know if I'm okay with this. But when God invites us to take a risk, gosh, it's an adventure. It's an adventure worth taking. And as I prepared this, I wondered that there might be some of us who are realizing that in this next season, following Jesus, really following, like putting the weight of your life on the belief in your heart, actually stepping out onto it, it's going to involve taking some risks. It's going to involve it coming at a cost. It's going to involve things maybe not working out how we thought they were going to work out. But we're going to do the next right thing anyway. And I wonder that's some of God's invitation to some of you today. Take the next step. Do you trust me? Take the next step. We don't know what happened to Joseph after this, whether he kept his place on the council or not, (laughs) whether he threw himself into the early church, whether he outed himself as a follower of Jesus or not, whether he gave up his prominent role or not. I'd like to think that he did. I'd like to think that he did. I'd like to think that he did it with guts and with courage. And the reason that I say that, that I wonder that might be true, is because what else is in verse 43? Tells us that as he went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body, he went boldly. And the literal translation of he went boldly is this. He took his courage 
in both hands. Isn't that brilliant? He took his courage in both hands. What a sentence. Wouldn't that be the incredible thing to be said about you? She took her courage in both hands. She stepped out. She trusted God. So there will be women. There will be risks. And then lastly, the other thing that I just felt to pull out from this passage is this. There will be miracles. There will be miracles. There was a question in verse 2 of chapter 16 that really struck me as I read this passage. If you've got a Bible, feel free to go and have a look at it. So the women, they're on the way to the tomb. <laughs> Probably not walking like that. Um, and they say this, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? This seems to me like a very strange question to ask. And um, what you need to know about me is that I am a planner. I am very much a planner. I am so far down the Myers-Briggs J that I barely, you know, I'm just sort of slightly off the chart planner. Like, I like to have a plan. I like to know what's happening, and I think this is partly why God asked me to put down my role, because he needed to deal with some of that in me. But, you know, I love a schedule. I love a plan. When we moved house, I had lists for my lists. That was kind of how it went. And what Mark needs to understand is that if only I had been there with the women, we would have had a plan before we set out with the spices for Jesus' body as to how we were actually going to get to Jesus' body. So I find this a slightly strange question that they're like, oh, la, 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 we're walking along with our spices, and who's, how are we even going to get in there? Like, it's just like, we haven't really made a plan here. Um, if only I had been there to help. But another way <laughs> to phrase this question is this, who will do what we cannot? Who will do what we cannot? Which is the question that every disciple of Jesus, every follower of Jesus inevitably asks at some point? Who will do what we cannot? Because there are lots of things that I cannot. Maybe you're better than me, maybe you can. But I cannot stop my children experiencing pain and sadness. I can't much as I try. I cannot make people like me. And believe me, I've tried that too. <laughs> I cannot take away this person's cancer or solve this person's housing crisis or absolve the global conflict between Ukraine and Russia. I cannot. I cannot. And the women they ask the same question. Who will roll away the stone? Who will do what we cannot? And of course, we know that they get there. And the first miracle is that the stone's already gone. It's been rolled away. Maybe by an angel. Maybe by the father reuniting with Jesus. We can only imagine. Maybe it's a bit like God the Father knocks on the time to come out now Jesus time to come out now son it's like me knocking on the bathroom door but just so much better for my son time to come out now maybe it was Jesus himself we don't know but but more than this first miracle of the stone that has moved 
verse 5 tells us they saw the young man dressed in a white robe and he tells them this astounding news. He is not here. He has risen. It's a miracle. It's something that physically was not possible. But with God, anything is possible. The women, they went for a burial, but what they got was a beginning. Yeah. So in a pivot point, there will be miracles. But for miracles to happen, we have to let God do what only God can do. Who will raise his only son from the dead, reversing a millennial age curse that has affected the entire universe? He, he will. Who will appear to the women first, neglected, mistreated, historically unrepresented, to declare the good news that God is at last reconciling heaven and earth, renewing all things. That's your tagline, isn't it? Renewing all things. He will. (laughs) Who will be at work mending hearts, changing lives? He will. Who will do what we cannot? He will. He will do it. And so I think my question is just, Adelaide, are you ready to let him do it? Will you let him do it? Because it's very easy to live out of our incompetency, isn't it? And I, I know that because I have had a good go at doing that. But that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is he will. He will. And he will through you. I'm so excited for this next season for you guys as you step out. And I know it's actually felt like quite a big risk taking on this building project, kind of in the middle of a pandemic. And, but as you step out, as you trust him, as you surrender to him down, again, as you lay down your reputations at his feet, the things that he will, I think, will be astounding. I'm excited to see what comes So briefly, just to wrap this up, to bring this plane into land, so to speak, we um, just read until verse 8 of chapter 16. The women are trembling and bewildered, which I think is how I would be if I had just encountered an angel and was not expecting to see one that morning. Then there is basically this short ending to chapter 16, verses 9 to 19, which doesn't seem quite consistent with the rest of the book. And um, I read about this a little bit, and it seems um, that the book basically is missing an ending. And I know exactly how this could have happened, because having recently moved house, uh, when I was putting my books back onto my bookcase, I discovered that my final Harry Potter book, the last few pages had been torn off in transit. And so currently... Harry Potter is in the arms of Hagrid and Voldemort has won, which, disclaimer, is not how the book ends, okay? So it's very frustrating, yeah? And I think probably at the time, people would have found that quite frustrating about Mark's gospel. They would have got to the end of it and been like, sorry, trembling and bewildering? Uh, Is that really how we're ending this epic narrative? I don't think so. And so basically what the scholars have suggested is that in an effort to help Mark out... 
um, and make it less annoying for everybody else, basically. Later scribes have added in a section, verse 9 to 19, that was very much in agreement with the other three Gospels, with Matthew, with Luke, and with John, to basically wrap it up. That's, that's the suggestion. And so I hate to leave you on this cliffhanger because you have been with Mark all the way through the summer, um, but basically it's unfinished. So well done, everyone. Hope you've enjoyed that. <laughs> but so too, in a funny way, is our story too, isn't it? And it's, it's almost like God gives us this invitation. Now it's our turn to pick up the manuscript and fill in the blanks. Now it's, it's your turn in a, in a pivot point moment. What will you do with this amazing story of Jesus? With all the things that you've learned and explored in the last few weeks, who Jesus is, why he is good news to the city of Glasgow, why he makes a difference in your relationships, in the way that you do family, in the way that you go to work, in your getting up and going to bed, in your eating, in your sleeping, why Jesus matters, why he's relevant to the culture around you. There's so much to say, what story will you write in this pivot moment? What of his good news will you share? And in that moment, there will be women, many of them. There will be risks. And there will be miracles. And there, in the middle of us, in the middle of it all, will be Jesus. Shall we pray? Father, we want to thank you for the faithfulness of those women who stayed when everything seemed utterly bleak, when it looked like it was all over. And because of those women, we get to read about what happened and we get this last account in Mark's gospel of what happened to your precious son, to Jesus of how he died, how his body faced burial like every one of us will at some point. And then <laughs> what you did in raising him from the dead. And um, Father, we just say, first of all, we want to be people um, of your resurrection. We want to be people who shout that message. He is not here. He is risen we want to live out of that good news. And I want to pray, Father, for this church family. I pray, Lord, that um, as we've opened these scriptures today, that what you have for them would root down and would bear fruit. Just pray you'd blow away any, any things I shared that just were not helpful. But the stuff that was from you, Father, the encouragement of women to step into the spaces that you have for them. To see how you valued and affirmed the place of women in your church, in your world. 
I pray, Lord, just um, for anyone who especially needs to hear that affirmation this morning, that you belong. He loves you. He has a plan for you. You are not forgotten. I pray, Lord, they'd hear that from you this, morning, this afternoon. And Lord, for those of us who know this next season is stepping into some risks, counting the cost, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us in that, that you would lead us, that we would know the sustenance of your spirit, that provision that can only come from you because only you can do it. And we pray that we would trust you, that we would easily come into that place of surrender in the good moments as well as the hard moments saying, only you, only you can do it, Lord. Let this be your story. And I pray that for this beautiful church. I pray that they would have astounding stories of your goodness, amazing miracles to share, and that they would see the renewal of all things in the city of Glasgow. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.